Radio. We've got an exciting episode talking about the pre-tribulation rapture with Pastor Jimmy Evans. It's going to be an exciting episode. Before we get into it, I want to let you know about our ministry, who we are, and what we do here on the show. We're a theology broadcast. We interview pastors and teachers from all over the world, from various churches and denominations. Our goal uh, is not to, to, to agree or disagree with all these people, but just really challenge our presuppositions as we come to the scriptures. So we will have people we disagree with on the show. We'll have people we agree with on the show, but we want to make sure that we know God's word and understand the God who has given us his word. So we hope that you enjoy this episode. Go ahead and hit the like button and the subscribe button uh, if you would be interested in getting content like this. To my left and your right, I've got Pastor Michael Roundtree with us in the studio, back from vacation. Excited back to from have vacation, you back. ready to roll with a little remnant radio, man. Yeah. So tell yeah. us some of the stuff that you missed out on and that people need to go back and watch. Okay. Well, uh, some things that, that you missed out on. One, uh, Carm- Dr. Car- Carmen Imes, not Eames. Imes like limes. Imes like limes. She was on the show uh, talking about the biblical psalms of lament. And so, uh, Josh, I understand for you personally, it was a very impactful episode. Touching. Touching. (laughs) So so that was a great episode. Uh, Also talked about uh, some of the creeds. The Chalcedonian, Chalcedonian mm-hmm, Creed. Mm-hmm. Josh and I joke about that a little bit. Uh, the Nicene Creed, and just uh, just talking about the history of those and the and the scripture behind them and, and the stories. So, uh, all of that's episodes that happened recently. This week coming up, uh, actually, oh, last night, last night that's we had a great night. episode. Yeah, Bob with Bob Roberts, Pastor Bob Roberts from Northwood Church was on the show, and he was talking about multi faith conversations. Yeah. Josh and I were talking about this earlier uh, before the show started. He's like, wait, 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 what does this mean? Like, <laughs> like multi faith. Like, let's all get together and sing kumbaya with all the world religions no it's not that but it is a very interesting and uh, bob's not a universalist yeah. uh, at all but uh, very fascinating what he is doing that was last night uh tomorrow we have william lane craig on the show uh so the world famous apologist and uh but he's been working on a book on the atonement it's about to be released and uh and so we're going to talk about atonement theory tomorrow and then john thomas from streams ministry will also be on tomorrow at five o'clock that's right so uh, a lot of stuff coming down, so make sure you subscribe, like, comment, and share. So uh, we are so honored to have Pastor Jimmy Evans on the show. When we told you guys we had uh, Pastor Evans on the show, oh, so many of you expressed how excited you were about this. And, and here's what it, what excites me, because, you know, uh, Josh and I were talking about this. We, we have all perspectives on the show. Our, our goal is to help <laughs> everybody outside of their... Uh, of their theological echo chamber. And so we've had post-trib rapture view with Dr. Uh, Craig Keener. And what I thought was funny, uh, what I thought was funny was that before the show, before his show started, he had four dislikes before he even said a word. (laughs) (laughs) But before Pastor Jimmy Evans has started, we already have 33 likes for Pastor Jimmy. So Jimmy, I guess this settles the dispute. We don't even need to have a debate anymore. It must be pre-trib rapture, huh? It has to be pre-trib. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So uh, before we dive into the subject, uh, Jimmy, could you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your ministry? I know you have a book uh, that was just released, The Tipping Point. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Right. Well, it's good to be with you guys. Very, very honored to be with you. Um, I've been in the ministry for 38 years. My wife and I have been married for 47 years. We're three years right. away from Big 50. And uh, we have two children, five grandchildren. And I'm senior pastor of Gateway Church. We also have a ministry that my son Brent, Michael, that you're friends with, mm-hmm. uh, he runs. He's the president of Marriage Today. Uh, we have a marriage ministry that we have TV show, resources, conferences, all that kind of thing. 
but I love <clears throat> I love marriage and I talk about marriage I love church and I love helping leaders and I love the topic of the end times those are my three sweet spots and where I love ministering in awesome well let, then let's get started uh, and maybe just for starters, tell us what the rapture is, and maybe kind of rapture versus second coming. If you could just speak into that and introduce our viewers uh, to this concept. Well, rapture, uh, some people say that rapture is not a biblical word, but it is. Uh, in First Thessalonians, where the, the Apostle Paul is explaining to the Thessalonians what happens to people when they die, when believers die. And he, he said there, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep. He's talking about those who died, that you grieve as those who have no hope. And he talks about the fact that when Jesus returns, those who are dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain, in other words, there will be a generation of people who never die. And I believe we are in that generation, that many of us will never see death, that those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air. The rapture is a private event that happens between Jesus and his church before the tribulation, before wrath hits the earth, in the air, okay? The second coming is an extremely public event that is recorded in Revelation 19 that takes place on the Mount of Olives and in Jerusalem and at the end of the tribulation and every eye will see him. Now caught up, is the uh, the Greek word uh, harpazo, and it means to seize hastily. It means you run into a room, grab somebody, run out. It means to to snatch away. But in the Latin, it's the word rapturo, and that's where we get our word rapture. And so some people say, well, rapture is not a biblical word. Well, it is if you're carrying the Latin Bible, and so it's a biblical word. It's just of a of a different language. And so rapture is an extremely biblical concept. And 1 Thessalonians 4 is the most graphic description of the rapture, but also Luke 17, Revelation 4. There are other places where the rapture is, is described there. So very biblical uh, term. And it is, in my opinion, the next major event that will happen. Okay. And so you mentioned, because uh, my next question was going to be, if you were to if you were to just walk somebody through, here is why from the scripture I believe in the rapture. What scriptures would you go to? You just mentioned First Thessalonians chapter four. You alluded to Luke seventeen, Revelation four, and if there are any others. If you were to just make your sort of scripture by scripture case for belief in a pre-tribulation rapture, uh, w what scriptures would you go to? First Thessalonians four, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is Luke seventeen, and I'll read this to you. Um, so. Jesus said, now Jesus is talking about his return in Luke 17. The whole chapter is about his return, or most of the chapter is about his return. And he's talking about the days of Noah and the days of Lot and the signs of the times of when he returns. And Jesus said this, I tell you in that night, there will be two people in one bed, the one taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, the one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field, one taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. They said, So Jesus said, He was talking about his coming, okay? Like the days of Noah and Lot. And I hope we can talk about that more in just a minute. But, and he said, In that day, there will be two men standing in the field, 
one taken, that's the rapture, the other left. Then he said, in that night, there'll be two people laying in bed, one taken, one left. Well, here's the important thing to understand. When Jesus returns and the rapture happens, half the world will be in daytime and half the world will be in nighttime. If Jesus came at 6 p.m. Israel, much of the world would be in the daytime, but half the world would be in nighttime. So he's talking about the same instant of time. And there's what he says, one taken, one left. That means it's a selective rapture. Mm -hmm. Jesus knows who belongs to him and who doesn't belong to him. And so he will come, by the way, Jesus is telling the story. This isn't the Apostle Paul. This is Jesus telling the story. And so um, in Revelation chapter four, remember Revelation two and three is the letter to the seven churches. And so Jesus is talking to the seven churches, which were actual churches that are now in modern day Turkey, but they're believed to be the seven ages of the church. And now we're in the age of Laodicean church the lukewarm church. But in Revelation 4.1, after the letter to the seven churches, it says, I heard a voice like a trumpet, and it said, come up here. And the next thing you see is a scene of the church in heaven, okay, mm -hmm. in Revelation 4 and 5. And so many theologians, and I don't call myself a theologian, I just call myself a Bible student, many theologians believe that's the rapture, because the rapture in every case is associated with a trumpet. In most cases where you see the rapture, you're seeing a trumpet being talked about. And so I heard a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here, okay, after the seven churches are described. So those are three of the texts that I would use to describe uh, or to explain why I believe that the rapture is not an esoteric, not a subjective, uh, mystical type of a doctrine. It is a very, very clear, explicit doctrine in the New Testament. So, um, uh, for clarification, in Luke chapter 17, the text that you used here, um, I, we had other uh, theologians coming on the program. Some of them were uh, post-trib. Others have them, I think, were even uh, a post—what uh, do you call it? Post-millennial? Uh, I get, I get confused with some of the—I'm the, the, yeah. the, not as, as uh, 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 quick on the, the, the eschatology as Michael is. So, uh, uh, they would look to this text in Luke, and it says, hey— there are two different groups that are brought up. There's this one group for Sodom and Gomorrah. There's another group talking about Noah and talking about this taken. Well, the, those who were taken in the Noah text, uh, they would say, are, are those who were wiped away, that God took them out in a sense, not to take them to heaven, but eradicated them from the earth. And just like Sodom and Gomorrah, a uh, lot was removed, and those who were taken was Sodom. Sodom was taken out. Uh, have you ever heard this kind of argumentation, and, and what are your thoughts towards it? Yeah, and, and let me say, before I sound like a smart aleck, I, I, um, there are things I'm dogmatic about, the virgin birth, the blood sure. government, you know, the Trinity, things like that. I'm not dogmatic about the end times. So mm -hmm. there are good people have so many different opinions. And, you know, I spent many years being post-trip. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of started out in a default setting until I could no longer support it. So, but what I would say is, when a person has a bent, or I would say a prejudice, toward a certain doctrinal position, they'll find any way to defend it. Mm -hmm. but, but the text is explicit. Let me, let me read you the text of Luke 17. Now the Pharisees had come up to Jesus and said, when is the kingdom coming? Okay. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with signs to be observed. The kingdom of God is in your midst. So in other words, he was just kind of putting them off. Then he turned to his disciples 
And he said this, as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the son of the also the son of man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be re rejected by this generation. By the way, the lightning flashing out of one end of heaven to the other is the rapture. Now, as pastors, now y'all know this, when we bury Christians, we bury their head to the west. You don't bury a Christian north and south. You bury a Christian east to west. And as a pastor, when you're at the graveside, you stand at the west end of that casket. You say, why do we do that? Because we believe that the return of Jesus, the rapture, will start in the east and be like a lightning flash in a twinkling of an eye from the east to the west. And they come out, and not that Jesus needs our help. I mean, if we, if we you know, buried them up and down, Jesus can handle it. But they're going to come out of the grave facing Jesus. That's why we bury their head to the west. Okay. So then Jesus goes on. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, listen to this now. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day, so this is very important, the day, mm -hmm. not a day, not a season, but the day here that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all, okay? Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay, let's stop right there. Okay, <clears throat> he's talking about a day in history that Noah got on the boat. Okay, so here's what I would say to my brothers and sisters who believe in a mid-trib or a post-trib rapture. Did Noah get on the boat during the flood? Mm. Did Noah get on the boat after the flood? Because Jesus is talking about the day, the definite article, the day, not a day, not a season. There, there's, okay, so not a raindrop hit Noah's head or his family. In safety, now they lived in a very perverse, violent culture, just like we do. They were a righteous remnant living for God, being persecuted by unrighteous people, just like we are. But God, before the flood, put Noah and his family on the boat and, boat and the ark, and God shut the door. They didn't shut the door. God shut the door. And <clears throat> people would say, they went through the flood. They were lifted above the flood. And remember when they asked Jesus, Lord, where are they taken? He said, where the eagles gather, up in the air. That's what Paul said. We meet, we meet Jesus in the clouds in the air. The rapture is a private event that happens in the air above the earth between us and the church and Jesus. Okay, And so it's all very consistent. Let me say this about so Noah or Lot. The angels came in to rescue Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were being the low, no, or Lot's family was being very obstinate. You know, his sons-in-law thought he was joking. His wife didn't want to leave. And the angel said this to Lot: "We can't judge this place until you're gone and you've arrived safely at your destination." Wait, 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 wait. So people will say, "Well, we're going to go through the tribulation." Whoa, 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 whoa. Not a, a hailstone hit. Lot or his daughters when they left and they were commanded to leave the day 
that Lot went out. Who was rescued? Lot and his daughters. Who was rescued? Noah and his family. They went above it. So, so some people would say, and this is why I'm so passionate about this, and that is some people would say, well, we're going to, you know, the, the rapture is at the end of the tribulation. And by the way, there is a rapture at the end of the tribulation. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, immediately following the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man will appear in his glory, and he will send his holy angels and gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. There will be millions and millions of people saved during the tribulation, okay, and martyred. And that's in Revelation 20. It shows the, those who are beheaded because they wouldn't worship the Antichrist or take his mark. Okay, okay, those people are raptured and they become a part of the church and the bride of Christ. And the and Revelation 20 says, and they rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. There, there is a rapture at the beginning of the church. Those of us now who have believed in Jesus. But for those of them who get saved, those that get saved during the tribulation, there's another rapture at the end of the tribulation. Some people get confused about that. And they read Matthew 24 and they get confused going back to uh, Luke 17 or, or those kinds of texts. Let me say this. So people say, well, Jesus said they'll be buying and selling like the days of Noah, buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage, planting, building. Okay, the days of Noah. Well, look, wait, wait, wait. So. And some people say, well, we're going to go through the tribulation, you know, and God's going to protect us and all that kind of stuff. Okay, well, let's talk, think about that. Uh, in Revelation chapter 6, there are four horsemen. One of the horsemen, the pale horseman, kills a fourth of mankind. That's two billion people. If the rapture happened today, or if the tribulation started today, there are almost eight billion people on the earth, two billion people to Wait. In Revelation chapter 9, three judgments kill another third of mankind. Then a star called Wormwood hits the earth and decimates the earth. Then in Revelation 16, all sea life dies. And in Matthew 24, Jesus said, unless those days have been cut short, no flesh would have survived. Okay, wait, stop, stop right now. Okay, wait. It will be like the days of Noah, buying and selling, planting uh, marrying and giving in marriage. It will be like the days of Lot, buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage, planting and building. So wait, 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 wait. So over half of humanity is dead. A meteor has hit the earth. The earth has been scorched by fire. Most of, of the green life, uh, the, the, you know, the, the uh, trees and vegetation of the earth is burned up. And you have all of this just, unbelievable all, all sea life is dead and you say hey we're getting married would you come at the end <laughs> of the tribulation you're going to 12 funerals a day you can't go to it. the world is a smoldering ruin how in the world can you reconcile luke 17 from the book of revelation if and i, and I hear these people saying well we're not afraid of the antichrist and you know we're going through the tribulation you're just not paying attention you're not reading the same book I am. And, and by the way, there are other people out there who say, well, God is going to miraculously rescue us from the, the uh, Antichrist. No, he's not. Revelation 13 says the Antichrist was given authority over the saints to overcome them. Revelation chapter 20 shows all of the people who were beheaded because they wouldn't worship the Antichrist or take the, the, his mark. There will be mass martyrdoms during the tribulation. If you're not afraid of that, if you, if you say, well, I'm not afraid of the Antichrist, you're simply not paying attention. 
you're not reading the same book I am. And so the good news is we are rescued. And some people say, well, Jimmy, you're, you're an escapist. You bet I am. Jesus said this in Luke 21, speaking of the tribulation, pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Why on earth would Jesus tell us to pray that we could escape those things if we couldn't escape those things? And Jesus also said in Luke 21, it will come, the tribulation, as a snare on all of those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now, you can't get a more inclusive statement than that, okay? A snare was an animal trap. When Noah got on the boat and the door closed, the world was ensnared in judgment, and there was nothing they could do about it. When Lot and his daughters walked away from Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah were ensnared in judgment, and they were, there was nothing they could do about it. When the rapture happens and we're caught up to be with Jesus, the entire earth, is trapped in seven years of hell on earth. So when you ask me about my passion in this, and that is, you know, I don't understand, I, and I really don't, and by, by the way, I was I was post-trip for, for years, so I have a lot of grace for people who don't necessarily agree with this, but I'm saying what I'm saying based on scripture, because to me, you can't reconcile the days of Noah and Lot in buying and selling and giving in marriage with a horrific, uh, condition of the world at the end of the tribulation. Okay, that's uh, that's really good. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, I want to talk about the the tribulation saints for a moment. And there's a question that's come in. The first question on Facebook uh, from Jack Coltis. This is what he says. He says, "How is the rapture of the church to spare them from the wrath to come?" So he's definitely quoting from First Thessalonians, where uh, where he talks about sparing us from the wrath to come. So he says, how, how, is the ra- how does the rapture of the church spare them from the wrath to come during the tribulation, but then leave those who are converted during the tribulation to suffer through it? In other words, I, it, I think the person's saying, hey, this doesn't really seem like much protection from wrath because, yes, the church gets protected, but then all the tribulation saints who get saved, they're suffering through this seven-year hell on earth. So what would your response to be, be to that, uh, Jimmy? Before, before I have you answer that question... <laughs> Let's do a quick word from our sponsor. Quick word mark. from our sponsor before you answer. Yeah. He is the Lord of hey guys, the song you're listening to right now is from Stonebridge Worship. Now, Stonebridge is sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio, and last week they sent us a Dropbox link to this full album. And I'm telling you, this album is awesome. It's edifying. The quality is spot on. And if you haven't checked out Stonebridge Worship, just go over to your Spotify channel and type in Worthy Is Jesus. That's the song you're listening to right now. Uh, the song is amazing. Uh, and, if, and if you don't have Spotify, man, go check out their YouTube video link. I put it in the description of this video at the bottom. You can watch the full music video that you're watching right now. And another, man, big thank you to Stonebridge Worship and sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. So, Jimmy, same question. Uh, what would you say to uh, the text that uh, our friend Jack asked? He's like, hey, uh, what do we do with uh, 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 those who are saved during the tribulation? Are they being saved from the wrath to come, or, or does that not work? Well, great question. Uh, the, the judgment or the penalty for not accepting Christ now is the tribulation. Hmm. That for those people, there, you know, you guys are watching the news. 
-hmm. and you're seeing the in-your-face rebellion right now, anarchy, you know, that, that's going on right now. People are, no, you're not going to tell me what to do. This is my body. I'll have an abortion if I want to. I'll have sex with anybody I want to. And it's, it's Psalm 2 is one of the uh, end-time scriptures. Why do the nations rage and the people devise a vain thing against the Lord and his anointed, saying, we're going to tear your fetters in two, and we're not going to do anything that you say. This world is in rebellion to God. And there are people that uh, right now, they're, they're hearing the gospel. They just won't respond. Mm -hmm. And there are other people that are responding. They're spared from the wrath that is to come. There is no, there is no reprieve for people who get saved during the tribulation. It will be hell on earth. It will be the worst seven-year period in human history, and most people will not survive it, and many believers won't survive it. There's no comfort. The comfort, see, the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 1, says, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, after he just described the rapture, he said, God has not destined us for wrath. Comfort each other with those words. By the way, Revelation 6 calls the tribulation the wrath of the Lamb. Okay, isn't that a crazy statement? If you saw a lamb running at you, would you be afraid? I mean, you know, would you Not say typically that? typically very wrathful. Yeah. <laughs> That's an attack lamb. Everybody hide. No, it's not. <laughs> so there's, just did that. there's two events happening during the tribulation. The marriage supper of the lamb and the wrath of the lamb. There is a seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb happening in heaven between Jesus and the people who received him before the rapture. For the people who got saved during the rapture, it's going to be hell on earth. Well, let me let me tell you one that's even better than that. Okay, so this, this people need to think about this. So when Jesus returns at the second coming, the second coming is a physical return of Jesus, okay, at the end of the tribulation and his church. Revelation 19 describes it. Revelation 19 describes the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we return with Jesus to the Mount of Olives to rule and reign for a thousand years. But I want you to think about something, okay? There will be mortals who survive the, the tribulation, okay? During the millennium, that's the thousand-year rule of Christ. There's the rapture. There's the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. There's the second coming at the end of the tribulation. And then Jesus rules and reigns the earth for a thousand years. And it says during those thousand years, he rules the nations with a rod of iron. Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God, gentle and meek. He comes the second time as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, full of fierceness and wrath. And he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. You say, well, why? Goodness, why is he so mad? Who are those nations? They're the people who survived the tribulation. And during the worst of the judgments of the tribulation, they still wouldn't repent. They cursed God, and they still wouldn't repent. Listen, it says during the tribulation, people will seek death, but they won't be able to find it. This is a, a special group of people. It says they seek death, and they wouldn't be able. They, they couldn't find it. You say, whoa, whoa, why, why would God not allow certain people to to kill themselves? That's, they're trying to commit suicide, and they can't. Well, that's too easy. Here's what God is saying to that group of people who are so in your face, rebellious toward him. No, 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 no. I'm not letting you kill yourself. You're going to survive this and you're going to live for 1000 years under my direct rule. See, the age of grace is an age that ends at the second coming. There is no record of the Bible of anyone getting saved after the second coming. Today, we have the grace to get saved. If a person hears the gospel, they can get saved. 
during the tribulation, they can still get saved, but it's a very, very severe grace. They're getting saved during a time that is the worst time in human history. At the second coming, no one gets saved. Now, we're perfect. When we're raptured, and those that are saved during the tribulation are raptured at the end, we're perfect. We have redeemed bodies, glorious, immortal, incorruptible bodies. We're, we're with Jesus. Now We're now the wife of Christ. We're not the bride of Christ. We're the wife of Christ, ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years. We don't need grace. After Jesus comes, we don't need grace. We're perfected. We'll never sin again. But the people on the earth will have no grace. Mm. And ruling them with a rod of iron doesn't mean sweet Jesus is going to say, well, I would like for you to do this, but, you know, you have free will. There is no free will. During that age, it is an imposed law. And the people who are rebellious toward God, their worst nightmare and their worst judgment is to live under the imposed law of Jesus Christ and not able to live the way they want to live. And they'll live that way for a thousand years. And when you look today at the rebellion that's going on in the world today, so there'll be total justice. When Jesus comes, there'll be total justice. All wrongs will be righted. All sins will be uh, paid for. But some of these people today that you see, you see them on the news, you see them on TV, you see them out there doing what they're doing. Those people, you should pity them because they will live under the longest and worst judgment of anyone, except for those people who ultimately go to hell. So I've got a question for you from from Charles Lewis. He's on on YouTube, a scholar from Scholars, watches the show all the time. He also happens to be my dad, and uh, he wants to know about this. I'm just I'm just messing around, but but he is my dad. Uh, he wants to know about the, the the temple. Does the temple need to be rebuilt? So we talk about the in, imminent return of Christ, the pre tribulation rapture. Uh, he can come back at any moment, but does the temple actually need to be built before Jesus comes back? Yeah, it has to be rebuilt. Second uh, Thessalonians, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the Antichrist, he said he sits as God in the temple of God, declaring that he is God. So that's mm -hmm. just then in Revelation 11, said so John was given a reed to measure the temple, but not the outer court. Okay, and uh, so there's going to be a rebuilt temple. There can't be an abomination of desolation without a rebuilt temple. Now, but it's not saying the entire temple complex. It's mainly talking about the, the complex that houses the Holy of Holies, not that we would have the Ark of the Covenant there, but they could still be doing temple worship. Let me give you an interesting comment here. Revelation 11 talks about the temple being rebuilt. Okay, uh, And Jesus, by the way, talks about, in Matthew 24, he talks about the abomination of desolation. Uh, Daniel 9 talks about the abomination of desolation. And then 2 Thessalonians 2 talks graphically about what that means. Revelation 13 says the Antichrist speaks pompous things against God and against his uh, sanctuary. Um, and so the, in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist goes in and he proclaims himself God. But let me give you an interesting scenario here, because just since this is the theological broadcast. So Revelation 11 talks about the, the temple being rebuilt, measuring the temple. The outer court has been given to the Gentiles. Okay. Um, then it talks about the two witnesses which I believe are Enoch and Elijah, because they're the two men in the Old Testament who never died. Now, it could be Moses and Elijah, but, but Moses died. It would be a bummer to die twice, because they're going to get killed by the Antichrist. So, <laughs> That'd be a real bummer. But, but I, I, believe it's, I believe it's Enoch and Elijah. Okay, so, so think about this. These men are so hated. It says the Antichrist stops the sacrifices, okay, and then proclaims himself God. Think about this just a minute. 
So uh, Daniel 9 says the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with the many for a week, but in the middle of the covenant will be, become the, the, he'll commit the abomination, that, or the, the, you know, the abomination that causes desolation. Okay. So there's this thought, and I've had this thought, you know, that the Antichrist will make a, a, or confirm a covenant with Israel for seven years, and that covenant will allow them to rebuild the temple. Okay. Well, I want to rethink that for just a minute. Okay, and that may happen. I, I don't know that may happen. The two witnesses are untouchable. According to Revelation 11, they call down fire upon anyone who backtalks them, and they will not allow rain to fall on any person on the earth that comes against them. And if you want to kill them, you must be killed in like manner. They're on the Temple Mount in Israel for three and a half years. Listen. Who cares if the Antichrist allows the Jews to rebuild the temple? These guys will protect the temple builders and keep them from being touched for three and a half years. Wait a minute. So when they're killed, the world hates them so much that they send gifts to one another and celebrate all over the world. Okay. And by the way, it says in Revelation 11 there, all the world watches this at the same time. That was impossible before the technology that we have right now. But today the world could watch at the same time. You say, well, why in the world would everyone hate them so much? Well, they preach the gospel. Everybody hates them for that. You know, they have the ability to call down fire from heaven and stop rain. And also, everybody hates them that way. But there are sacrifices happening on the Temple Mount. The Jews have reinstituted, because the first thing that the Antichrist does is stop the sacrifices. Remember, this is, he's the people's man. He's the man of the people. Okay. And the Jews... When they get to the Temple Mount, this year, a group of Jews ask Benjamin Netanyahu for permission to go on the Temple Mount and to sacrifice a lamb for all the nation of Israel for Passover. They will start animal sacrifices. Can you imagine what PETA will do when they go up there and start animal sacrifices? And I mean, they mean business. They will go berserk. And they will try to stop them, and the two witnesses will prevent anyone from stopping them, not only as they're building the temple, but as they're doing the animal sacrifices. When the Antichrist kills the two witnesses, his first order of business is to stop animal sacrifice. Then he goes in and proclaims himself God. So I believe there has to be a rebuilt temple. By the way, this year, Jews are going up on the Temple Mount praying openly daily for the first time in 2,000 years. We wrote an article on that, Michael, mm -hmm. and that for 2,000 years and not being stopped by the Israeli police. And so this is a big, big deal. There's a lot of activity. They believe they have a red heifer that qualifies as being the 10th red heifer. Uh, they have to have a red heifer to sanctify the, uh, the sanctuary and the priest to, to do this. Uh, there have been nine red heifers since Moses, and the Jews believe that there will be 10, and then the Messiah will come. If this red heifer that was born in 2018 continues to qualify, it will be the 10th red heifer and will allow them to sanctify the Temple Mount and the, the right. sanctuary. Qualify as being one without blemish, as it has to be. It has so, been without blemish, but I think there's a two-year period that it has to be examined. Right. Okay, so a, a lot of what you're talking about has the undergirding of dispensational theology, which sort of the, the main thing for dispensationalism is the distinction between Israel and the church. Right. And, uh, and there are certainly some people who say, well, hey, 
uh, you know, Galatians 6, 16, ch the church is the Israel of God. We are the, uh, or they point to other passages and, and say that, like, like Galatians 3, and we're sons of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus, and there's neither Jew nor Greek, etc. And so how would, uh, how would you say uh, the rapture and dispensational theology work together? Yeah, a great question. Well, the, the Jews cannot be saved without Jesus. And so I don't believe in Judaism. I don't believe that uh, there are two covenants at work at the same time in the salvation sense. Now, when God made his covenant with Abraham, it was an everlasting covenant. By the way, it was a genetic covenant. It was a covenant with the land. And so I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. It's obvious that that's still in effect because no, no nation has ever remained great when they came against the Jews. Um, Jews cannot be saved without Jesus, but they're special by covenant. Okay. And according to Zechariah, there's going to be a very severe mercy upon the Jews during the tribulation period of time. But let me give you an example. Uh, Isaiah 11 prophesies that God will once again, for the second time, regather Israel from all the world. That happened in 1948. You, you can't, you, you just can't mess that scripture up. They weren't just regathered once from Babylon. They were regathered twice from all the nations of the world. Joel 3, God says, in those days and at that time, when I regather Judah and Jerusalem from around the world, I'm going to enter into judgment with the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat on behalf, on behalf of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they've scattered around the world, and they have divided up my land. So God is saying there in Joel 3, in the same exact period of time, when I bring back the scattered of Judah and Jerusalem, I'm going to enter into judgment in Armageddon with all the nations of the world. Okay, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, Revelation 19, all the nations of the world on behalf of my people who they've scattered around the world. Jesus said Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot by Gentiles. He said uh, the, that Jerusalem will be defeated, that they'll be scattered around the world. Uh, and then that uh, the Jerusalem will be trod underfoot by Gentiles until the time of Gentiles is fulfilled, which was in 1967. So what I see at work is not a choice. Do you believe that the church is God's chosen or Israel's God's chosen? What I see is a, a, a harmony of an Old Testament covenant with a genetic group of people called Israel that they rejected, they rebelled against God. Some of them were saved, some of them are being saved, and some of them will be saved during the tribulation, okay? And so the Jews are not saved because they're Jews. They're only saved because of choosing Jesus as the Messiah. However, God chose the Jews to make himself known, and he's still making himself known through the Jews. An example I talk about in my book, Tipping Point, they're the super sign. Okay, when Israel became a nation, Isaiah 66 says, uh, when, when, it, when uh, Jewish, uh, Israel travailed, she gave birth. Can a nation be born in one day? Israel was born in one day on May 14, 1948. And so there is no doubt that God is using the nation of Israel today as a, as a sign, as the super sign of his coming. There's no doubt about the fact that he's using Israel today to reveal the spirit of the nations of the world. The United States, we moved our embassy to Jerusalem. The United Nations despises Israel. They've censured Israel more than any other nation in the world combined. 
and you're seeing the spirit of the nations, the, the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is Russia, Iran, uh, it's, uh, it's Libya, it's Turkey, it's all those nations coming against Israel. God is still using Israel, but P Jewish people cannot be saved without Jesus as the Messiah, but they are still special to God by covenant, and he will honor that covenant until the end. That's great. So what I'd like to do is we're, we're, we're coming up on that 40-minute uh, mark of our interview. We've only got 20 minutes left. I'd like to maybe do some, some maybe rapid-fire questions. I've got—I right. think we, we, we actually sent you some of these questions that came in on Facebook. And if we right. can get, like, maybe five minutes, we're going to run through some of these questions here pretty quickly. Right. Uh, uh, this question is from uh, uh, Brennan. Uh, it's question number two. Brennan has a question. He says, what is the evidence that there is a support uh, that, that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit? Where would you see that in Scripture— uh, he, he goes on to say something to the effect of, you know, I would have a hard time coming to that understanding with just the text. How would you understand uh, the restrainer uh, as it relates to eschatology? Well, the church was born on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. Okay. okay. And, I, and the, the he there in Second Thessalonians 2 is capitalized. It's God. So he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So let, let's, let's take this out of theology. What what group of people on the earth today is restraining abortion? What group of people on the, on, on the planet today are restraining abortion? Was that the question? Or restraining abortion. Christians. Christians. Yeah. I mean, who, who else is restraining it? Okay. We have a ministry called Marriage Today. Who else in the world is restraining divorce? Okay. Who else in the world is restraining transsexuality or immorality in general? preaching against it, standing against it. And so the, there is, God has a face. God the Father has a face, okay? Jesus has a face. We're the face of the Holy Spirit. We're, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, that, so you would say that the restraint, yes, it in, in a sense is the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit has left the planet, but that the Holy Spirit is working through his church, that the church oh, in, is the restraint. We're the light of the earth. We're the salt oh, of the earth. Absolutely. When the, when the Antichrist, when the, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken away, then the lawless one will be revealed. Okay? As soon as the Holy Spirit and the restraining force of the church is taken out, the Antichrist has free reign. Now, there's going to be people that get saved, and eventually they become another restraining force, but he's going to behead them. He's going to kill a lot of them. But right now, if, if we're not the restrainer, who is? And, and you say, well, the Holy Spirit's a restrainer. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works through God's people. He works through the church. And so uh, you, you guys are pastors. I've been a pastor for a long time. Part of what we do for a living is to help restrain the force of evil that's in the world today. Jesus said in Matthew 18, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. The word bind there means disallow. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Jesus gave us the authority to bind and loose, in other words, to restrain. So, uh, again, I'm not dogmatic. I mean, I'm, I'm very sure. passionate, I'm very opinionated. But if there is another restrainer in the world, I sure don't know who in the heck that is. And, and the, I guess the, the, the post-tribulation position is like, if the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, they would say then that... Um, uh, then how do people get saved during the tribulation? And your, your argumentation is like, Holy Spirit hasn't left the planet. He has but, just taken the church, uh, and the Spirit is still at work convicting sin and righteousness, you would say. 
Yeah, and you have to understand, today the Holy Spirit is in the church, and we have, in the midst of all of our problems, we have still have protections upon Christianity. Yeah. You know, there, there have been re laws just recently passed, the Little Sisters of the Poor, who they tried to force to uh, provide abortions, the Catholic nuns, they tried to force them to, the Obama administration tried to force them to provide abortions, and they fought it. They recently won in the Supreme Court, okay? Mm. That won't be happening during the tribulation. There is no restraint upon the Antichrist during the tribulation. That's why Revelation 13 says he has given authority over the saints to overcome them. Mm. The, the restraint right now, we have the protection of God upon us as a church. In that time, the, the saints won't have protection. So they're, they're receiving they're receiving that that common grace, if you will, that that is the church that the world is receiving kind of common grace. That's that right. is the church. That's super cool. You got you've got a question, right? Yeah, I do. Um, so, Jimmy, a lot of people who are post-tribulational would say, "Hey, the verses that I read about the second coming seem to put <clears throat> excuse me, seem to put the the final judgment as simultaneous to this." Oh, yeah. And so uh, whereas when you were talking about, hey, Jesus is going to return and, you know, unsaved people who live through the, the tribulation, it sounded like you were saying they were going to populate the millennium uh, throughout that period of time. So, uh, and I may have understood you wrong, but I wanted to, uh, to just read a section that I know I've heard a lot of post-tribulational rapture folks quote. It's from the same book of the Bible, Second Th Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, or, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through probably about 9 or 10. And uh, anyway, but I, I hear this verse quoted, and, and they say, hey, when Jesus comes, it's the end. I mean, Jesus is uh, he's rewarding the righteous, eternally punishing the wicked, and it's millennium if they're premillennialists, and it's, it's game over right there. Uh, but here, here's the, the scripture. It says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. And so here's uh, when the Lord returns. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. So... Uh, as someone who believes in the pre-tribulational rapture, how do you uh, how do you understand that verse and how it fits in? Well, you, all of all of Scripture has to be synthesized. You can't mm -hmm. take a, a Scripture text and interpret the rest of the Bible by it. Let me give you an example. Revelation chapter 19 is a graphic description of the second coming. Mm -hmm. Jesus returns with his church. He destroys those who have come against Jerusalem and against Israel. Um, and then he sets up his great white throne, but there are mortals still on the earth that are graphically described in Revelation 20. Satan is bound for a thousand years, that during that thousand year period, he rules, God, he rules the nations with a rod of iron. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed, and he goes out to lead Gog and Magog, the nations of the world, and they attack the camp of the saints, the holy city. Jesus destroys them, sets up the great white throne, so on and so forth. So here's what I'm saying. There are scriptures that are condensed, mm -hmm. where the, all of the Bible is condensed into a few verses. And First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, chapter one is one of those verses where it's just giving a synopsis. You can't take a synopsis text 
and interpret graphic scriptures that describe the detail of it. Okay, and so God, God so loved His only begotten, God, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can take that verse right there, but you can't replace the Gospels with it. The Gospels tell the entire story and the entire timeline of how Jesus died and when Jesus died and the entire duration. So I reject a small text of Scripture in mm-hmm. the place of a very explicit text in the book of Revelation that describes it in detail. So you're going you're to uh, understand... Uh, uh, the cryptic by the clear. I think that's a, that's a good hermeneutical practice. Uh, I've got two questions that I'm going to ask you because I think that they actually kind of tie into one another. Uh, so for Stacy, that's in the back, like which question, question I'm going to click three and six. The first one, Matthew, it's question three. Uh, if, if the resurrection of the righteous and the rapture are the same, are at the same time, when does uh, the resurrection happen? In 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it says the resur- ha- resurrection happens uh, at the blast of the last trumpet. When is the last trumpet? That's his question. And then question six we have from my buddy John Davidson. Uh, he asks, uh, that does, how does the feast of Leviticus 23, how does that tie into the pre-tribulation rapture? I think that, that you might have a trumpet question kind of so tied into— You're seeing the trumpet connection. The, the trumpet connection. Is that, is that how you see the, uh, the text of well, the final trumpet as a feast trumpet and not uh, the last trumpet in Revelation? Absolutely not. So, so the great question, the great yeah. question. So the the seven feasts of Israel are prophetic grid. Absolutely, undeniably, no doubt about it. Okay. Jesus was crucified on Passover. The, the Lamb of God was crucified on the day that all of Israel were killing their lambs. Okay, for mm-hmm. Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. Okay, unleavened bread was a seven-day feast. Eleven represents sin. Seven is the number of perfection. Jesus perfectly atoned for our sins. Okay. Jesus was resurrected during the Feast of First Fruits. He's First Corinthians 15. He's the first fruits among many brethren. And the day of Pentecost happened during the Feast of Pentecost, where the priest would take two loaves of bread, leavened bread, wave them before God, representing Jews and Gentiles have come into the fullness of God. Okay. And so the first four feasts had were fulfilled on the exact day. Okay. So we know this is a prophetic grid. Well, then there was a duration. Uh, of the summertime, the planting time, uh, okay, and they went into the fall of the year until the seventh month of the, the Jewish year, September, October, and then they had three more feasts. Now, they have to happen in order, okay? The first feast was the Feast of Trumpets, okay, and so the rapture is associated with the trumpet. Now, so you guys are smart. The, the day of trumpets is two days long. The Feast of Trumpets is two days long. So Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, not even the Son of Man knows. Okay, If I told you that Jesus was returning during the Feast of Trumpets, you still wouldn't know the day or the hour. In fact, when Jesus said to the Jews, uh, no one knows the day or the hour, he was effectively saying he was coming during Trumpets. Trumpets is also known by the Jews as the wedding day of the king. Okay, it's, And by the way, it says he comes at the last trump. During the Feast of Trumpets, they blew a trumpet, a ram's horn, nine times, 11 times long. Nine different times they would blow the trumpet 11 times, 99 times. The longest blow was called the last trump, and they would blow it 
the loudest and longest, that was the last trump. When you're talking to a Western mind, we think about Louis Armstrong, or we think about somebody that plays the trumpet, you know. Yeah, that story reminds me of my kids with a kazoo. It, that sounds horribly annoying. A hundred <laughs> blasts of a trumpet? Oh, well, Jesus, that's come on the third, please. Yeah, so, and this is when, the, this is when the, the wedding day of the king was, is the Feast of Trumpets, and it was, a, it was a celebration. It was a good feast. It began the days of awe, okay? Ten days later was the Feast of Atonement. That's the second coming. It was the holiest day of the Jewish year. This is when they would kill the ram or they would kill the goat, two goats, the scapegoat and the sacrifice goat, and they would pl- pour its blood out on the, in the Holy of Holies on the, on the, the uh, mercy seat. This is when Jesus returns and all sin stops. The he, that he purifies the world through his coming. And by the way, the, the Day of Atonement was a very serious day. It was a day of afflicting your soul. Mm-hmm. Five days later, a seven-day feast, uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles began. That's eternity with God. And by the way, it was the seventh feast for seventh days during the seventh month. It was perfection, eternity with God. So I don't believe that there is any doubt that Jesus will return uh, during the Feast of Trumpets. Well, let me say this. If you would have known about the feast before Jesus came, you would have known he was going to die on Passover. You would have known he's going to be buried on it. By the way, uh, it says, God says you're supposed to have these feasts, holy convocations to the Lord. The word convocation means dress rehearsal. Every time Israel had a feast, they were having a dress rehearsal of a future prophetic event that would be that would be fulfilled through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, and then through the second coming. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I I am absolutely convinced, and no one can convince me otherwise. And I may be wrong, but you know I'm, I'm, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. <laughs> um, I absolutely believe that the next three feasts that happen in the fall of the year are the fulfillment of the rapture the second coming, and of eternity with God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as we as we talk about just timing, you've talked about Israel as a super sign, and I know that you believe that means, uh, I think you believe that means Jesus is returning in this generation, based on what Jesus said in Matthew 24 about this generation. So Israel being what you call a super sign, uh, you've talked about the feasts and the timing of them, I'm a little bit curious of are are you saying that you feel like the rapture is coming in this feast season that's coming up in the fall, or are you just saying in some feast season in the future? And then I know you you've also you talk about this in your book, The Tipping Point. And if you guys are interested in what Jimmy's saying, you need to buy his book, The Tipping Point, that just came out. Uh, but you talk about uh, the days of creation and the way each of the days of creation match up with redemption history, uh, leading up to six thousand years, followed by a thousand year reign for the seventh seventh. Uh, day of creation. So the reason I say all this is it, it sounds like there's a lot of timing converging here. Could you speak into that for a moment? Well, I definitely believe that Jesus will come at some point during the fall of the year. I believe the, the rapture will be during uh, the Feast of Trumpets, in my mind. Okay. Oh, so not this fall, you meant the no. fall. Okay, Just, okay. I, I heard you say this fall, and I was like, Oh, you got guts, man. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm glad I asked the question of clarification. Go ahead. I idea. Yeah, I don't set dates. I never set dates. Uh, okay. But okay, good call. I, 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 thank you for setting me straight on that. Yeah. Okay, so okay, the Jesus said the generation that sees these things will see all things fulfilled. Okay, mm-hmm. 
So uh, remember, Israel is the super sign. The, the, the end times in the, Joel 3, in those days and at that same time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will enter into judgment with the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat on behalf of my heritage Israel, whom they have uh, scattered among the world and they've divided up my land. So God in Joel 3 is saying, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, it starts, the clock starts. And in that same time, the word time there means season. In the same season of time, when you see me bring back the captives, remember Isaiah 11, again for the second time, the Lord will regather his people from all over the world. Okay, And so these Isaiah 66, in one day, all these things have come true. This, we're, God is telling us what he's thinking. Okay, So here Jesus said the same generation that sees these things take place will see all things fulfilled. Well, so what? How long is the generation? That's the million-dollar question. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, the law of hermeneutics says the Bible interprets the Bible. No, no prophecy of the Scripture is a private interpretation. Mm -hmm. And so, it's, so, in other words, guys. So, if I say to you, yeah, Jesus said a generation, the same generation that sees this will see all things fulfilled. But God showed me that a generation is 137 years. Okay. Well, that's that's private interpretation. Yeah. Psalm 90 says the days of a man's life are 70 years, or if by reason of strength, they're 80 years. Well, in the 20th century, the average lifespan was about 68 years long, but now it's 78 years long. So if you say a generation is 70 or 80 years, that's, that's practically what's happening, that people are living 70 to 80 years long. If you live longer than that, you're living a long time. So... Go ahead. I mean, you you mentioned uh, private interpretation, and this this kind of leads into another question. And and if this gets you off train of thought, and you're like, hey, I want to I want to finish my thought, please do that. Uh, but but question five for Stacy, uh, you know, he says, can you show evidence that the dispensational or pre-trib belief was circulated before Darby? Um, a lot of accusations for the pre-trib view is like this is a new thing based on private revelation, and that would just it just caught my thought because because you had said that this might be a great time to kind of maybe address that. Do you see the pre-trib tribulation view before Darby or as something yeah. that's, you know, yeah, and just for our viewers, oh, uh, right, yeah. uh, John Nelson Darby, 1830s is often credited as the one who sort of brought dispensationalism or the pre the idea of the preacher rapture sort of to the surface. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and people kind of argue back and forth. Well, was it really him or was it somebody earlier? But, but maybe you could speak into it, uh, Jimmy. Yeah. I, I don't even consider him in the discussion because Luke 17, uh, you know, the, the scriptures that I've talked about that describe the, the rapture of 1 Thessalonians 4, they're so graphic. Um, but here's what I do believe in. I believe in progressive restoration. I believe that the church fell in the 3rd century, 4th century, went into darkness, and I believe that 15th, 16th century, 17th century, God began to progressively restore the priesthood of the believer understanding about basics in the Word of God you see in the 20th century. There's no new truth, but there's new revelation. And so uh, let, me, let me say this. In Daniel chapter 12, the angel told Daniel, Daniel, seal up the words of this book. Very heavily prophetic book. Seal up this book until the times of the end. And here's what the angel said. Many people will go to and fro and knowledge will increase. In other words, this book will not be understood until the end comes. And when the end comes, then it will be revealed. 
and now we see an explosion in understanding of Daniel, the you know Daniel nine, the 490 prophetic years, the Antichrist, the you know covenant with Israel, all that stuff. I believe that the truths of the end times were hidden until the end times came, and I think the more we've come into the times we're living in today, which I believe are the end times, I believe that revelation has exploded. You look back at Darby and people like that, they were in the dark ages, and you know, they, they had some revelation. I absolutely don't base one single iota of what I believe on Darby or anybody else around that period of time or since then. I base it on the words of Jesus. Amen. So we're coming to the end of that. Our program, what's it's common for us on the show is to close out with closing thoughts. I'm going to ask Michael, uh, and then I'll go and ask Jimmy, uh, what are your thoughts uh, as people are walking away? That one nugget that you really want people to walk away remembering or thinking about or contemplating as they're going about their life. But before I ask this question, should remind all of you, give it, give them some time to think. But uh, uh, I ask all of you, if you're watching right now, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. We do conversations like this a lot. We've had Craig Keener. We've had Doug Wilson. Uh, we've even had uh, some other from the House of Prayer remind, remind me of... Uh, oh, we've had Lou Engel, Lou we've had Engel, Matt, Matt Chandler. I was thinking about the, the guy who came on to talk about eschatology from the House of Prayer, your, your oh. buddy. Oh, uh, Brad Stroop. Brad Stroop. Yeah. This specific subject, we cover lots of eschatology on the program. We invite them to come on and discuss, kind of explain their position. What we're trying to do is disrupt had, yeah. some theological echo chambers, and we're having had a lot of fun Wright doing it. Had come on and talk about right. the new, heavens, uh, new, new heavens and the new earth. So, so check out the so channel. Yeah, this is a, it's a really great... Because what's... What ha- has happened historically for the church, like we get around our church and our community, yep. and, and the only thing that we hear is what we're a part of, but we really try to uh, to help people outside of their echo chamber. And so, and Jimmy, you're helping us do that. We have uh, a lot of viewers that are pre-trib rapture, but a lot a lot that aren't. So uh, I, I would just say I'm uh, so thankful to have you on the show today. Uh, Jimmy, you are articulated. So we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Uh, Give me closing thoughts. So uh, closing, uh, closing thought. Really, I, I, I love that Jimmy was not uh, he, passionate, but not dogmatic. And, that's right. That's uh, good. And I think that the, that's how we have to be with this, this end time stuff. There have been a lot of false predictions over the years. And, uh, and so I, I think we have, to be, we have to be careful about that. I think the, the main thing is that a blessing pronounced over those who, uh, 2 Timothy 4, who long for his appearing. And that's like I think a true a true test of our spiritual maturity and faith. Do we really have a longing for His appearing, or do we really just want to be right about the end times? <laughs> and so, uh, and so that's what I would say. Keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, Jimmy, what about you? What's your? Uh, how would you kind of summarize everything in in a closing thought? Well, I really so much appreciate you guys' heart for theology, and it's, it is very critically important. Um, I just say. When it comes to the end times, we have to be very gracious with one another. Um, I've been studying this for 47 years. I've changed my opinion for the first 20 years. I changed my opinion often. And I got to the point that I didn't because I felt well studied. I felt like I'd re- researched it and that I could support my position. But even then, I, I could be wrong. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus may come on Thursday during December and, you know, when nothing's going on, I, you know. Reserve the right to change your position mid-flight. <laughs> but I guarantee you one thing, he'll come when he wants to. That's that's what I do yeah, now. That's right. But it's comforting to me to have the, the Bible, 27 to 30% of the Bible's prophecy, most of it's end-time prophecy, and God gave us that prophecy to comfort us and so that we would be informed. And during COVID-19, during all the craziness that's going on right now, I think it's so comforting to be able to contextualize what's happening 
in light of Bible prophecy. Amen. I love this comment here uh, from Darren P. Eschatology is not the door to salvation. Jesus is. So so these are in-house discussions amongst Christian brothers. We like to dialogue about this stuff and have fun and, and really try to, to figure this out so that we can know our Bible, to know the God who's given us this Bible. And if you guys are interested in doing that, subscribe to the channel, like the stuff. I want to interrupt you stuff. really quick, though, because yeah. I have a second closing thought. Can I have a second another closing? Other one? I have another other one, if you don't mind. I just want so to add I'm, this you one more thing. You want me to annul the first closing <laughs> thought? No, go ahead. <laughs> it's a continuation. Uh, because at the same time that, that I want us to not be dogmatic about it, you know, Revelation 1-3 does pronounce a blessing upon those who yeah, read right. and hear the book of Revelation. And I, I hear people joke all the time and about, understand. like, you know, yes. It, I hear people joke all the time, like, it's so convoluted, I can't understand. I don't even care. And I was that way for a long time. But... Most of it is pretty understandable. We might have some disagreements, and let's not be dogmatic and you know castigate our brothers and sisters in Christ. At the same time, let's study it. Let's yeah. try to figure this out, and let's try to understand the times and the seasons. So I think we have to. It's not an excuse for lazy exegesis. It's not an excuse to say, "Hey, let's let's put our brain on 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 the shelf and let's just check our brain at the door and uh, and, and read all the stuff that's really easy." Yeah. Uh, there definitely is some challenging sections yeah. to eschatology, but but are worth the challenge. Absolutely. So with that said, like, comment subscribe tomorrow thank you guys so much William Lane Craig. thank you so much pastor jimmy tune in tomorrow william lane craig is at 3 p.m that's right tomorrow so god bless you guys have a great day blessings